0: Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast, featuring leadership and team-building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author.
1: Frank Viscuso. Hey, well, I'm excited to have Sarah Westbrook on Flashpoint right now, and um, I'm just getting to know Sarah. We only have had a couple conversations, one just before this podcast. Yeah. And for any, anyone that listens to this, they know this, uh, Sarah. Our podcast. I like. I bring on people that I want to talk to, that have had success in industries that I'm interested in having success in. Uh, You are a professional speaker at 3E Emotional Development, which stands for Emotional Management, Emotional Awareness, and Emotional Resilience, and also YouPower, Inc., where you spoke to more than half a million uh, children, teachers, and parents. Mm -hmm. I have found your videos on social media. We have mutual friends that have been on the show also. And I wanted to invite you on, though, because, uh, I mean, uh, I I think you have a lot of tremendous insight that I think not only helps us as adults, but helps us for people like me as parents trying to figure out how to raise kids, which I find to be one of the more difficult things I'm doing in my life. But thank Thank. you for being here.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I think it's a journey, right? It's a journey uh, of uh, of our own emotional awareness, our own emotional management, and our ability to bounce back to move forward. And then also being on that journey with our kids. And and I think the best way we teach our children anything is we model what we want them to learn. But I also think one of the hardest ways we teach is we model what we want them to learn. Because oftentimes, wouldn't we just like to say it, right? Like we'd sit on the couch and be like, be confident, believe in yourself, regardless of what other people think, always put in the effort. And we could just like, just sit back and watch them do that. But ultimately, they are watching us, how we deal with stressors, how we stay determined, even when there's tough stuff going on around us, uh, how we take time to set boundaries and take a pause, like they're watching all of that. And as they're watching, they're absorbing. And so modeling what we want them to learn isn't always easy, but it's essential because it's the best way for them to absorb it.
1: No, it's very interesting you say that because... In my seminar, I talk about, um, I I call it the power of the kitchen table, because in the fire service, and as you know, I'm a retired firefighter, but uh, we spend a lot of time at that kitchen table in the fire service. And what I explain to officers and really everybody that works there is the things you say, the way you act, it matters. And even to the people you think aren't paying attention, I have uh, my two younger boys right now are 13 and 12. And what I notice about them is if they're in the other room. When my wife and I are having a conversation or I'm on the phone talking to somebody, Mm -hmm. my older son, uh, Frankie, he's not paying attention. He's doing what he's doing, maybe playing with some friends on social media, whatever he's doing, Mm -hmm. watching a movie. My other son, Nicholas, is always listening. I don't think he is. He doesn't look like he is, but he'll repeat conversations I had to me two hours later saying, Dad, why were you talking to so-and-so and why did you say this? I'm thinking, how? You heard that? when I'm not, yeah. I don't want them to hear that. And it's not bad stuff, but it's also yeah. not kids stuff. Right, So no, they um, are.
0: they're watching and listening. I mean, especially if you think about over the last, what is it now, three years during the pandemic, how much there was so much of, we were all together under one roof and there was restrictions and there was, and there was also stressors that happened there in different conversations and they were home more and we were home more. Uh, for the majority, so there was also a heightened sense of being being listened to or being watched because they were watching. How are we dealing even with those stressors?
1: Yeah, you know, and I think what we took away from that time frame with COVID was we actually in a, in a strong way. I think we reconnected with our family. A lot more because we had that time. Uh, recently, I was actually um, in my office working uh, and I was working on a book. And, and when you write, sometimes you find your rhythm and sometimes you don't. And I was in my rhythm. I was feeling good about where I was moving with this particular section I was working on. One of my boys came in, dad, do you want to go play catch in the backyard? I said, not right now, in a little bit. And which I find myself doing that a little bit too often. Not right now, not right now, not right now. He asked three or four times and I couldn't do it. And then at one point I look out and I could see the backyard from my office and I see him out there by himself, just walking around. He's got a glove on his hand and a baseball, but he's alone. I look at him and I said, that is so much more important than what I'm working on right now. And this can wait, that moment can't. So I grabbed my glove, I went out there. You know what? You know what? The smile on his face when I walked out in the backyard, to me, made that whole moment worth it. I said, we're going to cherish this moment right here. For me, I think it was way more impactful than him, but I think it was good for both of us.
0: And it's amazing because you've just, you, in that moment, I would call that mindfulness. You're mindfully aware of what was going on. And I think that life is not about perfection. So it's not about being the perfect parent, about being on all the time. We are going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up but if it can be about reflection and redirection. So in that moment, you were mindful enough to reflect and quickly say, what's important to me right now? And then I'm going to redirect because I'm going to make a choice now out of living in the moment, but living in a way I'll be proud of for the moments to come. Out of respect Mm -hmm. for myself and my son and this moment, I'm going to make a choice to pause on this and pick up my glove and go outside. So that's really being mindfully aware. And then making a conscious choice as opposed to not right now, not right now, not right now. (laughs) And sometimes it is not right now. And that's valid and fair. But in that moment there, you realized it's possible for me to put this on hold because those moments are going to be fleeting.
1: Right, right. And that's it. That for sure. One of the videos I recently had watched you've uh, you talked about emotional triggers. And I thought, now this is something I wish that I watched when I was 15 or 16 years old. Because, uh, like I like to say, I'm an Italian from Hudson County, New Jersey. My knee-jerk reaction is has gotten me in, in trouble. And matter of fact, I would go as far you as... You run I, hot. Yes. You run hot. You run, I run hot. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just, yesterday, I actually apologized to a guy that two years ago, I... Um, responded before I took a moment to pause. And you talk about the power of the pause. And what was great about it was I said to him, the same thing I just said to you. Yeah, I'm an Italian from Hudson County, New Jersey. He says, he says never apologize for that. He is also, by the way. He says, never apologize for, for being passionate. He goes, you and I are good. We've always been good. And I understand why you got emotional about that. I said, yeah, I appreciate that. But the problem is I should not have called you when my emotions were high. I should have took time and just thought about and just approached you using my words, not my emotions. And that's what you talk about, the power of the pause. Can you talk a little bit about that? Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I think that in life, I mean, this is something that we're well aware of, which is circumstances happen that are not always in our control. So it could be something that someone says, that's not in your control, could be something that's going on in your family, something that's going on in the world, the person who cuts you off when you're driving. I mean, things are going to happen that are not always in your control. And one of the things that I think is really essential is realizing that those circumstances trigger emotions. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So we often focus on the circumstance. Well, if that person didn't cut me off, well, if they didn't say that thing, well, if they didn't... If this didn't happen, instead of looking at, okay, that happened, that wasn't in your control. But now let's look at where do you have control? Well, you have control over being aware of the emotion that that circumstance triggered and being able to actually learn to navigate it in a healthy way. So being able to first of all name it so whatever was going on with the circumstance with you and your friend then noticing oh my goodness that triggers sadness oh that sadness has now turned into anger oh i can feel my heart racing oh my face is going red oh my fist is is clenching now i need to do something with that emotion as opposed to just becoming reactive so it's not about re- suppressing the emotion it's about actually learning to be aware of it and manage it in a healthy way so maybe that's taking a pause and you know going and talking to somebody else about it you know using them as a sounding board maybe it's journaling maybe it's going for a run maybe it's deep breathing maybe it's the 24 hour rule where you just you just are like okay yeah. hey, i'm just going to actually wait and then then see where i'm at and it doesn't mean that the emotion is is to be avoided it means you're actually looking at the emotion that was triggered from that circumstance. And now you're practicing what you do with that emotion in a healthy way, as opposed to the knee-jerk reaction, leaving you sometimes feeling like, shoulda, woulda, coulda, but I didn't do that. I wish I didn't yeah. say that, post that, type that. And then you feel in the, in the in reflection, this sense of guilt or regret because you're like, oh, I was angry. Yes. But my words, they weren't they weren't respectful. And I think oftentimes that what why we have the guilt and regret is because when we reflect back, we realize that maybe we were justified to feel the emotion we were feeling. But that our choice didn't line up with the character of who we believe we are as a person. Right. So then, that's where I feel that guilt is when I'm like, Oh, yeah, I was angry, but I allowed anger to control my words instead of respect to control to be the the focal point of where i'm going to make choices from.
1: Right. Right. And it, it I, I one time uh, explained it to somebody this way, uh I'm sorry for how i responded, but i'm not sorry for how i feel because yeah. you know, i'm just trying to to make a point and and this is funny because this is what i do for a living. I'm a communicator, you know, between a podcast, between doing 50-60 um public appearances, seminars a year. I tell people all the time I still struggle with communication just because you you do it for a living doesn't mean you have it all figured out. Especially when you when you speak to 3000 people, it's different than speaking one-on-one with a person when there's some kind of conflict that you need to resolve. They're two different scenarios. And quite honestly, one of them scripted, one of them's live. Uh, yes, you said something right. really great. Um, and it's very similar to a situation or a phrase that we use in a fire service, which is control the controllables. Control what you can control. Mm-hmm. But a lot of what happens in life, you can't. Mm-hmm. And you also talked about something that I heard you talk about in another one of your videos, which it, it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think you said space to feel is space to heal. Is that correct?
0: Yes. You, you, you can could, you could just take over my presentations.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm t- no, listen, I tell you, I'm really, I, I learned from it because... Uh, what I like about it is uh, I think people should follow you uh i where I saw these clips was on LinkedIn, but I think people should follow you because they're good one, two, three minute clips and okay. so when a yeah, when a video pops up, I listen to it and I'm thinking that it's great stuff. I need to talk to my children about it. That's what I immediately think and Also, it's a great reminder for me, but that's why I figured, let me have you on here and help spread this word so other people can bring this kind of value from it. But if you could talk about that, it's okay to feel what you're feeling a little bit more.
0: Absolutely. So I think that uh, as human beings, we feel tons of different emotions. I mean, we're not robots, we're human beings. And we feel a wide range from anger, to sadness, to frustration, to happy, to joy, to disappointment, silly, bored, and all of it is okay. I don't believe there's bad and wrong emotions. There's emotions and they have, they have energy behind them and some are uncomfortable. And I think that's really where as human beings, we uh, want to avoid, we want to avoid discomfort. We love comfortable stuff. We like comfortable pillows, throw blankets, feather, top mattresses. Yes, Mm -hmm. please. We want comfortable running shoes, comfortable conversations where we don't feel judged. We feel validated and heard 100%. So when there's something that's uncomfortable, like disappointment, sadness, irritation, frustration, it can be easy to try to avoid it and be like, oh, I don't want that emotion. But what I've realized is that leaning into the emotion is how we move with it and through it. So if we could actually see emotions as information and even use emotions as motivation. So right now, if I was to say to you, you know, have you ever used the emotion of irritation or anger to be more determined and driven to get something done? What would your answer be?
1: If I ever used anger to, you know, in one area of my life, maybe, but not all that much, I would say in sports, sometimes, because uh, I was a wrestler, you have to understand right. that I was a wrestler. So I did. So
0: this is, so this is good news. This yeah. is you use the energy of whatever the emotion was, and you actually honed it in a productive way. Right? So right. even if we look at leaders that that we admire, people that we inspire us or motivate us, they've been through challenges. They've been through hard times, some right, extremely I get hard it. times, right? But, but they didn't allow their anger to right. stop them or their sadness to stop them. They actually,
1: they redirected,
0: moved, right? They moved with and through that emotion and said, no, this is going to be used as more passion to be more determined, to take a stand right. for what I believe in. And so We need these emotions. It's just about navigating them and allowing space for them in a healthy way. That's why I say space to feel is space to heal. If you are feeling an emotion, like, okay, so say let's pretend you're feeling annoyed or sad or angry, and someone comes to you, someone who cares about you, who knows you well, and they look at you and they see you're feeling a really tough emotion and they say to you, stop it. That's enough. No more. Get over it. If their initial response to your upset is stop it, do you find in that moment it's super helpful?
1: At that moment, I don't. At that right. moment, and
0: that's all I'm talking about. Just that moment.
1: Yeah, that moment I no. No.
0: Right. So and so in that moment.
1: You feel like they don't understand what you're going through. Like, how do you like it? I can't just stop. <laughs> you know, this is what I feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's interesting is I'm also an overthinker. So...
0: Oh, welcome to the club.
1: Right. So so when I'm there and somebody says, you know, like, just stop worrying about it. Oh, it's that e- If it was that easy, don't you think I would have done it? You know? You're
0: like, oh, thanks.
1: Yeah. So I, I get, I, I completely get what you're saying. And so uh, I have and to is- let you... Yeah, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, I was going to say, so I had to let you know that working with all different ages, uh, you know, the last 16 plus years, but let's just talk about the last two and a half years. No matter what age it is, was a student, an adult, a child, they say when somebody tells me not to feel it, the emotion gets heightened. I feel it more Mm. or I start to feel bad and wrong. Like I somehow shouldn't be feeling this way, but I am. Yeah. So then shame and guilt. So those that neither of those are helpful. So the whole idea of it's okay to feel is then when I ask my audience, no matter what age they are, if you're feeling an emotion, you're angry, nervous, scared, upset, and the person comes to you that knows you well, that cares about you and their initial response to your emotion is, I can tell you're feeling a lot. It's okay to feel what you're feeling. Mm. It's overwhelming the response of people feel comfortable, safe, seen, heard, understood, validated. And all I said was, it's okay to feel. I did not try to fix or change your emotional state. Who here's ever that's listening right now felt an emotion and you did not need someone to fix or change it. You just wanted someone to honor that that's how you were feeling. It provides connection before redirection. No one is open to redirection before connection, but oftentimes our brain, especially with a child, but even if with a colleague, or, you know, if you're in a leadership role, you want to go to redirection because your brain is saying, but this is a solution. You could look at it this way. You could, no one's open to redirection before connection. And the best way to connect with one another, since we're emotional beings is saying, it's okay to feel how you're feeling space to feel is space to heal. Then it allows the opening when it's right for redirection. So that's where that all came about.
1: That, that's great. And, you know, it, this, it you kind of made me think a little bit about uh, really companies that are really good at customer service are really good at listening when, because you rarely call a company to say, you, you ever see the, the, the like the, uh, those uh, 18 wheelers going down the road that say, how am I driving? Call this number. <laughs> Nobody calls and says, hey, I just want to let you know your driver's doing a great job.
0: Yeah, you're know? really driving well.
1: Right. These customer service numbers are set up many times when people just are having an issue with the service and they're not they don't want to take 15 minutes to resolve the issue. People are busy, so they're calling up a little bit aggravated to begin with. And the best experiences I've had with people when I've called up um, is, is when they listen, they listen. And and then uh, I like to say it this way, it's like a you want a relationship to last last stands for listen, apologize, solve, and thank. Listen to what they have to say, and they listen. Apologize that they had that experience. I'm sorry you had that experience with our organization. And then they work to resolve the issue. And then thank you for being a customer or for bringing it to them. So I've taken that listen, apologize, solve, and thank, and brought that into my personal life too when I'm dealing with people that are just unhappy. I'm uh, any- this
0: down just so you know.
1: Yeah, you should. Listen, apologize, solve, and thank. Um, and, and the way I, I talked about this in, um, I think it was, the, I think it was Flashpoint, my book Flashpoint as, uh, that you want a relationship to last
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that being what it stands. Matter of fact, it was Flashpoint and I'll, I'll send you a copy when we're done with this, by the way. Um, but, but I use that uh, a lot and mm-hmm. it's funny when I call a place to deal with a customer service issue. Um, I'm always polite with the people I'm talking to. For example, when you lose your luggage on a flight, the people trying to help you find your luggage did not lose your luggage. They're trying to help you find it. But I see people go up to those people and be rude to them like they caused the problem. And I'm thinking that's the most... You
0: lost my luggage.
1: Right. And I've heard people say that before. You people, you people lost my luggage. I'm like, whoa, where are we going with this? That person's trying to help you find your luggage.
0: But that goes from speaking out of emotion as opposed to out of character, of respect for yourself and others.
1: Right, right. And speaking of emotions, um, another thing you talked about was, uh, and I really like this, unmet expectations uh, results in disappointment. Yeah. Well, and I thought, I've heard many years ago, Tony Robbins, I think you're a fan of Tony Robbins. I know I am. But I heard Tony Robbins uh, say that the key to happiness is progress. And when he said that, <clears throat> and he explained it a little bit, I thought that makes so much sense. In your relationships, your personal and your professional life, <clears throat> when you set goals, and you're making progress, you're happy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But when we're not making progress, or when we're regressing, we tend to feel like oh, things this isn't unmet expectations. And unmet exactly, right, yeah, and maybe you could elaborate on that uh, and and uh, expectations in general. Mm-hmm.
0: well, let's just go back to the luggage story. Uh, they okay. expected their luggage to be there. That's an unmet expectation. i I put my luggage on. I'm expecting it to be here. It's not now I'm disappointed now I'm angry, and I'm going to be reactive. <laughs> from what your story was there, there there's a lot of that, right. A lot of, but this goes to, goes to anything, uh, anything in life. It could be something where you were expecting to go out to dinner with your friends and you were looking forward to it and it was canceled. And now you're disappointed and allowing yourself to embrace that, that that's okay. It's okay to feel disappointed. It's okay to feel annoyed because you really want it to happen. How does this overflow to our kids? Think of every time that they are, uh, disappointed by something in your mind think what do they wish would have happened and then Mm. honor the wish say I know you wish that we could still go to that birthday party and you could still make this other event I know you wish that both of them could happen at the same time I think if you honor people's wish of what they wanted to happen it also builds connection because instead of you just saying oh get over it well you know things happen in life we know things happen in life. So again, it's connection before redirection. So connect to whatever that wish was. And this goes back to luggage. I am so, you know, sorry that this happened. I know you and I both wish it would have just arrived. People are like, yeah, good. Okay. At least you understand. Yeah. I do wish it would have (laughs) arrived instead of, well, things happen. That triggers people to be like, are you kidding me right now? Even though our logical brain is saying, yeah, mistakes happen. Things do happen. Honor the wish of what that person or even yourself wanted to happen that didn't happen. That's an unmet expectation is yeah. it, it triggers disappointment. And so then it's 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 not that you're trying to get rid of the disappointment. It's just you're honoring what triggered it, which was... That something didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. And now you're going to move through the emotions that that triggers and finding your healthy ways also to move through those emotions. Um, I'm a big fan of writing a list, writing a list of things, because I think your brain does forget. It can forget in that that moment, you can get all wrapped up in the emotion instead of being like, oh, okay, you know what? Maybe I just need to take a pause. I need to take a beat. I need to listen to that music. I need to go for a walk. Do this with your kids. If you have kids or you have young people in your life, have them write a list, pin it on their wall because learning ways that they can navigate disappointment in a healthy way is what helps build their, not just emotional awareness and emotional management, but their ability to move through and forward, hence resilience.
1: Mm, Yeah, I'm big on making lists as well. Uh, Matter of fact, I make them daily, every day. These are the four or five things I need to accomplish. What I found that's really interesting about it is even the most simple things, when I checked that box that I accomplished it, I feel like I did something, you know, and it kind of I create momentum that way to say now this this is building momentum to do the other things. And and I remember uh, I think it was Brian Tracy who wrote the book, Eat That Frog. I don't know if you ever read that book, but he talks about when you have um, a lot of tasks to accomplish and there's the one you don't want to accomplish well, that's the one you might want to get out of the way first, because that one's going to be haunting you. And he relates it to eating a frog, which is a terrible analogy, I guess. But it's funny saying, if, you know, eat that frog first, and then the rest of it seems like nothing uh, by comparison. And I thought, that's kind of how I, I do it myself and make the list. Never thought about doing it with my kids. You know, I think that's probably yeah. a pretty good idea to that I should uh, implement them. Uh, they're good at, at at setting goals. We don't write them down, but we do set goals. With them of things we want to accomplish, and I think what I try to do to them constantly is talk to them, and and build, you know, build their self esteem. Before we started this podcast, I was explaining to you how, uh, you know, my boys play baseball, and I coach them, and they'll have great games, and then they'll have games where they didn't do what they wanted to do. Sarah, the interesting thing about baseball, it is it's a game of failure you know, you you struggle, I mean, to hit a baseball is, uh, and get a base hit is a very difficult thing at any level. So if my kids don't go five for five and get five hits out of five, they're disappointed. That's pretty rare to go five to five. And I'm explaining to them, it's okay to go two for five. You'll be in the hall of fame. If you go two for five, it's okay to go two for five. But what I learned to do is there as their coach, I used to, we used to get in the car and I used to coach them right there saying, here's what you did wrong. And now what I come to realize is I'm kind of diminishing them because they keep hearing what they're doing wrong. So what I do now, we're walking to the car and I tell them how proud I am. Hey, you know, I listen. You did this right. You did that right. It was a great game. Yeah. And they'll talk about what they're disappointed about. I'll say, yeah, but did you have fun? I mean, because they are still 12 and 13. Did you have fun? Good. Because you played well. We'll talk tomorrow. We'll work on it tomorrow. We'll work on your swing tomorrow. And I give them time to process it and let them know you're not in trouble. You you know, you're a kid. You play the game. Maybe you struggle at something. But again, what I learned to do is step back as a coach and be a dad. And and this is something that I've heard a long time ago, and I want your thoughts on this. I heard one of the most powerful things you could say to a child after they play a sport, whatever it is, and you get in a car and you're coming home, not to criticize them, but say, I really enjoy watching you play tonight. And I started doing that and I found it to be pretty helpful. And what do you think about that? Do you have certain things or ways that you deal with children, maybe when they're disappointed after not competing to the level that they thought they should compete at or can?
0: I I love that you've been reflective even as a dad and said, okay, I was doing this. And now uh, it's, it's, it's not getting me the end result I want. It's not getting me the connection I want with my kids. Uh, And then you reframed it and you've done it differently about really getting them to feel good. Like, that's what I, I, I feel like you're, what you've described to me is you want them to feel good and whole. Yep. Regardless of mistakes, regardless of misplays, you want them to feel connected. You're creating a very solid foundation where they can be open to you. And then and then also that allows them to say, but then dad, I was kind of disappointed this happened. But if you come to them with everything you're disappointed that happened or didn't happen, or your critique, what I also didn't notice is kids will come back at, well, I played most of the game well, but right. I played both. Because we get defensive or we get deflated. We're like, well, why does it even matter anyway? Yeah. Um, Well, I I put in all this work and you don't even think that I'm I'm doing well. So what's the point? So what you're doing is you're really working them internally with confidence by saying, I believe in you. And our kids need that. They need to know that, you know, the world's going to come at you, but I'm always going to be your biggest fan.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So the world, I don't need to prepare you for the world coming at you because the world's going to come at you. You need to know you're supported and you're whole and you're good and you're, you're enough and you're, and, but it doesn't mean that we can't redirect and lovingly say, you know, and I like how you said, we'll talk about it tomorrow. You know, you give it time. And then maybe they come to you before that and say, dad, oh, I really want to talk about this one thing. Cause I really think but you've allowed that space. You've allowed that connection. Then they come to you, even though that can be hard for us parents, especially if you're also that coaching mentality, because your brain wants to quickly say, all right, well, if you work on this, you're going to be better. So let me just tell you what you're doing wrong because you should know what you're doing. Right. So, but it doesn't get us the result of the connection and confidence that we want in our kids. So Mm -hmm. I think that, that is a very uh, powerful practice that you are mindfully doing with your kids.
1: Well, and, it, and they're, it,
0: they're more open too.
1: Right. They're, yeah, well, that's what I find out. They're more open. I like to, yeah. to start with uh, both of my younger ones. I like to, if we're going to talk and we're going to go into the backyard and we're going to work on some stuff to get better at, I like to start by telling them, hey, I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of how you've been playing and how hard you've been working. Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to work on today is... And then we go right into it. I know what they need to work on as their coach, as a guy that's done this a long time. Uh, but I don't want to come in and approach it. Di- if I approach it differently and just say, come on, we're going to work on your swing right now because you've been swinging like terrible. What? <laughs> I <didn't> like. <laughs> right. No. Hey, I'm really proud of you. You've been working really hard. Let's let's work on your follow through on your swing today. We'll go hit into the net a little bit. Okay, dad. And they come out with a different Mindset, a a different enthusiasm about it. Yes, you know it's your
0: approach. It really is, like, because you're, you know, and I and I think sometimes we we as parents were like, oh, my kid won't listen to me. My mom change your approach. You know, and maybe it won't be instant, but did you find over time since you changed your approach, the way your kids responded to you shifted?
1: I I did, yeah, I did, and again, it. I have to take the coach hat off and put the dad hat on because mm-hmm. I could right because if I just approach it as a coach all the time uh that's where I struggle now and again I could relate this to the fire service in the fire service uh, you know I was a deputy chief and I often say this and I have to explain what I mean by this but treat your firefighters like they're your children is what I say but then I clarify this don't treat them like they are children treat them like they're your children, give them the time, the training, the tools, the equipment, the guidance, the support, and the environment to succeed in, but also hold them accountable and to a high standard because we're playing for life and death in the fire service. It's not a baseball game. This is for life and death. So there has to be a standard and it's more strict. It it could be a lot more like the military there than parenting, like we're talking, but for firefighters, oftentimes, Officers in the fire service will raise their children like officers in the fire service.
0: Right, right.
1: You know what I mean? And so it's like, oh, no, you need to do it. They're strict. And I'd imagine people in the military, maybe law enforcement officers deal with the same thing instead of saying, it's okay just to be a mom or a dad and and not have to have, you know, everything in the cupboard has to be in perfect order. And this has to get done this way in that time and make your bed this way and that Every now and then it's just be a kid. Just let them be a kid because uh, I know this is something I think about and you as a mom maybe you think about um but I think about this regularly is it's fleeting. It's going to be gone one day. And the things that maybe yeah. frustrate me, my office right now I have a green screen right now and you know but my office right now behind this green screen is my children's playroom and they're not they're old enough right now that they don't use the playroom but I used to write on this desk with them sitting right here playing with me because I just wanted them nearby and even though it would distract me every now and then I'm like again what we talked about earlier that's a good distraction let me kind of hold on to this moment as long as I can but yeah taking a hat off putting a hat on sometimes that's a difficult thing and uh, you know I don't know what your thoughts are on that Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm
0: No, about- Again, I think this goes to back to mine like if we we're just talking about parenting, mindful parenting, but also you also mentioned it, in leadership roles and I think that that's parenting is a leadership role. so yeah. that it, it, it transfers itself really well. And if we think about in the workplace, if if there's a leader that is constantly nitpicking you, constantly micromanaging you, constantly telling you what you need to be doing, and if that's all you're hearing, how confident do you feel in yourself and your abilities? So remembering that also as a parent, it, they, they're they're very transferable skills. Whether you're in a lead, whether you're in work or in a leadership role, or your parenting, is really having that balance of yes. There's times where we are redirecting our kids, or we're telling them and sharing with them um, a lesson, uh, uh, constructive feedback. Right. So we want to make sure that it is very much balanced with compliments and reinforcement. I think people work very well with that. I remember somebody saying there about there being a ratio, like for every constructive critique, give three compliments, mm. you know, right? Like, you know, so that people and open it up with that. So, you know what, you're you, I saw you put, we're putting in a lot of effort right here there's just this one thing and then end with, you know, maybe even make it a little sandwich.
1: Right. Well, that's just <laughs> funny you say that because. Right. Yeah. And step up right. and leave. I talk about the sandwich technique beginning right. and ending on a compliment. It, it, I find it to be helpful. It does work. And there's a time and a place to do it. For example, on the fire scene, if somebody's doing something wrong, I don't have time to give you compliments.
0: No, no. Yeah. But, you're not like, and just, yeah.
1: Right. Hey, I really <laughs> like what you're doing there, but can you please put the ladder over there? Because that's yeah. the window we, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I find it. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, that that sandwich technique. Some people agree with it. Some people disagree with it. That I've happened to find value in it. Um, criticize the act, not the person. Is, is right, a, a and and,
0: that, and that's wonderful too. And and making it sure that they know it's not an uh, internal to your heart critique. Maybe, right. maybe it's someone, and maybe it's someone suggesting something that could be very helpful. So it's also how are we interpreting information? So if I'm saying something to you, and I think I'm being helpful, because I'm just telling you, you know what, the way you were talking to your son right there, you might not have realized it, but it was kind of sounding harsh. If you interpret that as I'm critiquing you, that's very different than if you interpret that I'm trying to be helpful and trying to build a connection. So I think that we oftentimes have to also think about how are we interpreting information and also being aware of how are other people interpreting what we're saying. And we can, we can see that maybe by body language, we can hear it in their tone. Maybe they're getting really emotional and you could actually read their body and be like, whoa, okay, that's not what I was meaning. So I just want to clear that up. So I think it's just being really mindful of how are we interpreting information? How are other people interpreting it? And emotions do tell us, a lot so if mm. someone's becoming very irritated you could maybe be like oh okay well i can tell you know you're getting really upset by what i'm saying that's not what i meant i didn't mean that like, you're a bad dad i was just trying to say this is what i saw and i was trying to be helpful
1: yeah one of the words you threw out uh when you were talking was micromanaging um I'm going to give you a stat that I know is an accurate one, at least in my industry, in the fire service, because uh, having given about probably between 950, 970 presentations over the years, one of the questions I ask every time is raise your hand if you have recently, or I, I tend to now say if you have ever Worked for a micromanager because I used to say if you currently work for a micromanager, then I thought that's a loaded question because the micromanager is in the room with them. Yeah, yeah, so I said, right. Yeah, now I've seen that before. One guy yeah. raises his hand and three people be behind pointing at him.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: but I said, but I say raise your hand if you've ever worked for a micromanager, and ninety-five percent of the hands every single time go up. Sometimes one hundred percent. So when I see that, I think. What does that mean? I mean, are there really that many micromanagers out there, or do people just not know how to give people direction without making them feel like they're micromanaging? Meaning this, I firmly believe wholeheartedly that I am not a micromanager, but I also know that there are some things that I feel I do really well that I just try to, hey, this is Baseball practice. I'm going to use that as an example. I think I run a very good practice. So I'll go there and I'll tell the coaches, here's what we're doing today. In their mind, they could be saying, oh, here we go with the micromanaging again. Like the manager knows the game plan, but he's just going to run the show. So there's times where I'll say, here's my plan of what I'd like to accomplish today. Is there anything that any of you want to cover? We'll work it into it. We'll make sure we get it all in there. And And we've been doing it that way. And some days I'll just say, hey, it's your practice today. What do you want to work on? And I'll usually give them a day or two before to figure out. I've done this in the fire service too, telling officers, you want to run a drill next week? What do you want to run a drill on? Hey, it's your show. You go with it. If you need my help, let me know. Mm -hmm. And I find there's a lot of value in that. But people, I think, tend to feel that that everybody giving them direction today is micromanaging. I don't know if it's because we're not giving direction the right way or if people just don't like being told what to do at all.
0: Yeah, maybe it's a bit of both. Yeah, no. And I like that approach where you're, again, I, I'm still going to use this word this, you're being very mindful and aware. I think a lot of us, you know, whether we are saying something that we want done, or we have a vision, we sometimes get really tunneled with it. And, and then it comes across as, okay, hey, this is how it, This is how it has to be always and forever. And I mean, sometimes things have to be a certain way, right? Like with with firefighting, you're not just willy-nilly, like fighting fire, just randomly. Like Things have to be a certain way. So there needs to be management around that and accountability around that. I mean, there's got to be very detailed and structured so that you get to the end result that you need to get to. I think that what you're also talking about is when is there time? for people to also take the reins. Okay. Today's your right. And today's your day to do it. Or do you, is there anything you want to add? Well, now you're doing a collective. You're saying we're going to collaborate that. So that's not saying my way or the highway all the time, every time that, that's very different. And I think when you allow people to have a voice, they believe that they're enough. They're, they're enough, like they can stand on their own two feet because uh, they, I always say enoughness, you know, when you believe that you're enough, when you say the words, I am enough, it's not because you become complacent or and you just say, well, I'm enough. So when you say you're enough and when you believe other people are enough, it gives them a voice because it mm. means like, I'm enough to take a stand for this, or I'm enough to get this done. And with a voice, you have a choice to positively impact yourself, your team and your world
1: you know when you say that immediately what came to mind was a video that had been recently surfacing which is uh, jim carrey talking about retiring from acting did you see that because he, oh no and that's he, oh, another been, thing
0: i gotta write down now
1: you have jim to watch agree. it I... jim carrey he's talking he uh, retiring from acting and uh when the interviewer asked him a question i can't remember what she asked like like are you really going to walk away from this and she said why and he says because i'm enough i've had enough i've done enough i am enough i don't need acting in a sense to define me anymore mm-hmm. and when he said that i thought man there's a guy who's just, he's connected uh you know with who he is right now and sure you know it's it's so awesome that you talk and you mentioned a couple words like you said mindful a couple times referring to some of the stories that I'm sharing with you and when you say that I'm like I've never really thought of it that way I actually thought of it as being like I consider myself to to be very highly empathetic I have a lot of empathy for people which means trying to see it through their perspective Mm -hmm. I never really looked at it as being mindful but you're extremely mindful person how do you deal with when you have, let's just say conflict, some kind of conflict with someone that you know, they're not mindful, they don't, they're not taking your thoughts into consideration at all, or your point of view, they're not seeing it from your perspective, they don't care to even see it through through your perspective. Um, What are some of the ways that you deal with that type of person? Do you try to get them to see your point of view, reason with them, or at some point just say, hey, you know what, you see it your way. I see it my way. We're just going to have to agree to disagree.
0: Well, I, I think you've, you've, you've set out a few options there. I, I mean, we probably all have somebody in our life or in our own family that isn't open. And I think everyone is on their own journey and it really is a journey, not a destination. And, and, and when somebody is very closed and they're, Sorry if you can hear my dog. That's just real life. He's like, just barking. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that you have a decision to say, okay, I'm, if I'm speaking out of respect, if I'm speaking out of compassion and they're not seeing it, they keep deflecting, they keep thinking I'm criticizing them, then that's about them, not me. I always say other people, how they act and how they react says more about them and their emotions and their character than it says about you. I yeah.
1: Into a oh, you know that. Say that and do says more That is more so. That more. is so powerful. What you just said, how they react is more about them, not about you. You you said in one of your videos that their disappointment is not my guilt, mm-hmm. right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's about setting up a boundary. So if yeah. there's someone in your life where you're like, you know what, this this, I love you, I care about you, or I support you, or I respect you, but I we we don't have that that maybe connection or, you know, the things have shifted and changed and, and that's okay too, but I'm also going to set up a boundary of, of what I'm expecting from you. So this was back to expectations. So I think we can do this in people. Like we can expect someone to do something or say something that they're not capable of doing or saying. I mean, we think they are, maybe they used to be, but now they've shifted and changed. And it's like, well, what now, what is it about me that I'm expecting something from someone who clearly can't or won't give it to me or see it, see my point of view. And so then I always, I always, I always look internally and then I, I have to set up my own boundaries. So I'm not taking on other people's stuff and journey because it's one thing to be empathetic and, and lovingly, but also hold a boundary. But this also doesn't work for me anymore to absorb this because this isn't my journey to absorb and you're on your journey and I'm on mine. And that's where I believe a healthy boundary is really important. And knowing that emotions come up with boundaries, even for yourself when you set them, but that if you're being respectful to yourself, are you going to keep allowing that relationship to continue?
1: Mm-hmm. That's great you know, stuff. It,
0: it's it's and again it it's very much a journey because people are are evolving and shifting or you're evolving and other, other people aren't. <laughs> you know, like it's so you're you're really mindfully uh, having to have hard conversations in life over and over again, right? It's not just like one hard conversation and then that's it. People evolve and then you're like, oh, I got to especially in relationships, I got to circle back to that that hard conversation again, because maybe we we have to see if we're still on the same page about it.
1: Yeah, you know, we so talk about some,
0: but yeah.
1: I'm sorry, we talk about courage a lot in the fire service, but one of the things that um, we don't talk about enough is courageous communication, being willing mm-hmm. to have those hard conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. Because, and knowing it's okay to feel nervous and anxious, but still be brave and have it.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, another thing that I wanna just touch on and I really appreciate everything that we're talking about. Uh, such a great conversation. Thank you. But uh, fitting in versus belonging. Uh, oh, that's my. what I struggled with as a kid. As a, as a young kid growing up, I wanted uh, I, I wanted both of them. I, I mean, I wanted to, to be someone that uh, was part of you know, these groups around me and some of them, I, I just kind of didn't connect with. I didn't know, you know, am I, am I different than them? Cause I'm an overthinker. I'm that guy that has anxiety and stress and, and they don't seem to have that. You know, what's funny is, is when you, uh, when you tend to compare yourself to other people, I think you tend to compare yourself to, in a sense, their Instagram life, right? This is the life they want you oh, to. Oh yes. Right. Like you don't know yes. that they have doubts or fears or are, are dealing with insecurity. Which I was dealing with all those things when I was younger but can you talk about that uh, fitting in versus belonging
0: mm-hmm. and, and you brought up a really great point which is that comparison brain where our brain is a comparison brain and especially on on you know social media you can instantly look at someone and they've they posted what they choose to post and that's that's allowed but they're not posting their whole life. So right. if, we, if our brain says, well, that's perfection. I mean, look, they're in Disney World all the time. They're always laughing. They're always joking. They're the best family in the whole wide world, that's filtered pictures. Like, I mean, your brain can just go wild and be like, what, but, but am I enough? Because, I mean, they look like they, they're way happier than you are, right? So, and then we can start feeling, you know, down about ourselves. The other side of a comparison brain is we can look at somebody worse off and feel better about ourselves. Right. Right. So our brain can go either way. Fitting in versus belonging is really for me looking at. And this is me growing up. Fitting in is like, okay, so I want to be liked by you. So I'm going to change things about myself so that you accept me and you like me, because if you like me, then I'm going to feel good about me. Oh, but I also want you to like me. So I'm going to switch things up over here and I maybe even change the clothes I wear, maybe my opinion on things. So I really want you to like me because if you like me, I'm going to feel happy and confident. Oh, but I also really want to be liked by you. Actually, I just want to be liked by everyone. So I'm just going to keep fitting in like a chameleon. Right. And all of a sudden you realize you've lost yourself. Mm-hmm. And that fitting in, is about trying to gain your confidence from external sources. But confidence is an internal. Confidence isn't you like me, so that's why I like myself. Confidence is I like me. So that's where we go into belonging. Belonging is saying, this is who I am. Sometimes I'm quirky, sometimes I'm awkward, sometimes I mess up, sometimes I nail it, sometimes I make mistakes. I'm a little bit out there, but I like me and I'm going to find people who like me for who I am. Perfectly imperfect. And that's what's perfect about me. And you start to find people who get you for you and that's belonging and that's powerful, but that starts inside of you. You first have to belong to yourself so that you find people who get you. That is very different than fitting in. It's internally having confidence.
1: Mm.
0: instead of trying to gain your confidence externally.
1: That's fantastic. You, before uh, being a professional speaker and doing what you do for a living, uh, you were a singer and a songwriter, I guess. Did you write? Yes. uh, I had um, seen one of your videos, I Am Somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that I wish that I had access to that song you know at some point when i was younger because i'm like that's really great stuff um i guess what i just all i want to say is this stuff is out there for people to watch your videos um to be able to get access for their children not just your children you do corporate speaking events Mm -hmm. and um and can talk about all this stuff on a high level but i just wanted to be able to introduce you to my audience and my friends so they uh, know that they have a place where they can go to get more information. And I'm hoping that some of the stuff we talked about today is going to help them be a better parent, better husband, better wife, and just a better leader in general. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you for the time. And I want to ask if you can just share with everybody any final thoughts if you have them and then a way that people can uh, get a hold of you or see some of your videos or work out there.
0: So the best place to get a hold of me would be, well, one of them is Instagram. It's at I am Sarah Westbrook. That's one of the the great ways. I'm also on LinkedIn under Sarah Westbrook, Twitter. My final thought would be embracing the mindset of challenges or chapters of your life, not your whole story. When I just really sit with that and I think whatever challenge I'm facing right now, It's a chapter of my life. It's not my whole story. And in thinking back to all of us listening right now, all of you have been through challenging times, but you have made it. You are sitting here. You are listening to this podcast. You are a great problem solver. You've solved every single problem, even the ones you thought you couldn't, you have because you're right here. And when we look at challenges as chapters, it gives our brain hope. Hope that there's more of the story yet to come, but please remember that in those challenging chapters, there's tough emotions. There's anger, there's sadness, there's confusion, there's frustration. There's also joy and there's overwhelm. And all of that is okay. Practicing being aware of the emotions and navigating them in a healthy way so that you can journal about them or talk to a friend about them or go for a walk or whatever works for you in a healthy way so that you can redirect to there's more of my story. I'm going to make a choice that shows respect for myself, others, and my dreams. That, I believe, is powerful so that you can continue to do the great work you're doing.
1: That's fantastic. Sarah, thank you so much, for your time and for sharing those thoughts with us. I appreciate everything. And uh, I hope some people find the same kind of value that I've been getting uh, out of this uh, podcast. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. And it was lovely to talk with you. I mean, I feel like we could just talk all day and night.
1: Oh, I I appreciate that. Thank you very much.